What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. This is Jake Hofer, and this week we have one of my favorite series we do here, the first time Land Buyers episode, and it's with Emma Enyard from Iowa. He's 27 years old. He's an engineer, and what I love about the first time Land Buyers episodes is there's something to learn from everyone, and I'm sure you guys are going to learn some key things in this episode. If you are a young person trying to save up to buy your first farm, this is the episode for you. Before we get into that, a couple quick announcements. The the Land Podcast numbers grew substantially year over year from 2022 to 2023, and I want to personally thank all of you. It is such a pleasure to run this podcast and learn right alongside all of you and share whatever insights that we can. And if you do enjoy it, you tune in regularly, it would mean a lot if you left a written review or shared it with a friend. That's the only way we're going to grow here in 2024. And there's no sponsors, no ads here on this show. Just try to provide value. And I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Before we get into it, though, January 10th, 7 p.m. Eastern, Exodus is releasing a brand new camera. We're going to be going live on Facebook and YouTube. And you're more than welcome to join the Q&A. We're going to be giving all of the details about the camera. We're going to have special pricing for those that join the live stream. And in addition to that, we're going to be giving away some gear. So be sure to check that out. January 10th, 7 p.m. Eastern on Facebook and YouTube Live. Now, if you're brand new here to the Land Podcast, the goal is very simple. It's to help 100 people buy their first farm. There's three ways to be included on that list. Number one, if you are looking in the state of Illinois and you're looking in an area that I have expertise, I'm more than happy to help you as a buyer's agent. Number two, if you want to try to get connected with someone that I'd consider doing business with, I'm happy to make an introduction. Your decision from there. I don't have complete coverage across the country, but I'm happy to help when I can. And number three, if you simply learn something from this podcast that helps you make the plunge, make a calculated decision to buy your first farm, I want to hear it and add you to the list. We are getting so close to the 100 uh, buyer goal, which has me so excited. I think we'll be there here before too long. So be sure to reach out if you are one of those folks. And if you want to be a guest and share your first time land buyers episode story, I'd love to do that. And with how many we've had people send in to be added to the list, I would love for some of you guys to, to throw your cap into the ring to be recorded and share your story because there's always value provided by those episodes. So let's go ahead and get right into this week's episode. Hope you guys enjoy. Hope you guys have an excellent week. Here's Emmett. Jake, good, good to see you here, I guess. <laughs> yeah, man. For sure. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, for sure. It's uh. I've, I was, I've been looking forward to this here for a couple of weeks now and your first time land buyer, which is super exciting. And, um, it would have been, I think two, two springs ago, uh, me, you and Cameron went out and shed hunted and we walked a bunch and found a bunch of antlers. You were kind enough to take us out and walk a bunch of different pieces. And that was a lot of fun. And, uh, but before we get into all that, go ahead and introduce yourself for people who haven't ran across your YouTube channel before. Yeah, Absolutely. So my name is Emmett Enyart. Um, I absolutely love hunting, deer hunting, shed hunting, and tur turkey hunting. Um, I've got a YouTube channel called Extreme Element Outdoors, where I document some of those uh, experiences I have in the outdoors. I live here in Southeast Iowa. Um, I'm 27 years old. Had to think about that for a second. It's <laughs> a little weird, but uh, nope. I was born in Pennsylvania. I've lived in five different states growing up. I call my hometown DeWitt, Iowa. And, uh, you know, just after living in a couple of different states, I got to experience a couple of different places. And, you know, Iowa really seemed to be the place that I liked the most. So that's kind of where I was like, you know what, I wouldn't mind, you know, staying here, raising a family and, you know, mm -hmm. trying to 
set up shop here in Iowa. So that all worked out perfectly because I ended up, you know, really enjoying the hobby of hunting and it's one of the best, uh, States for deer hunting. So, yeah. And I forgot yeah, to mention here too, we, are. we, uh, we did a whitetail cribs with, uh, at your parents' house. And, and I remember the basement was just really cool. So many, all the shed antlers, some giants that you found over the years. And, and you guys are no strangers of knocking down some super, super, super respectable deer as well. And I know your, your little brother smoked a giant, um, earlier this season. So I, I just want to hear like the quick story on that because it's, it's worth noting. Yeah, no, it's uh that was a really cool story. So it was his last youth season. So in Iowa, the youth season, it's uh, you get two weeks basically before the regular bow season comes in where you can take the youth out. Um, so it was his last year that he was eligible for that season. Um, we had some target bucks that we were excited about hunting, you know, early going into this year. Well, unfortunately, uh, we got hit hard with the HD. So a lot of those target bucks, uh, you know, disappeared found found a couple of them and long story short we had to make some adjustments so we ended up going down and hunting um about an hour from where we live went into a spot that was on a good food source um had a stand hung on that food source for a north wind or i'm sorry a south wind because it was early in the year well it was a north wind the evening that we went in to do the hunt and uh so we took two stands and uh, we did the hanging hunt on the south end of that field. And on our way in, we were like, noticed, we're like, oh, well, it's definitely good that we, you know, brought our stands with us because the other stand that we had hung was stolen. Oh, so it wasn't like we were going to hunt that stand anyways, but it was like, it adds, it adds to a, knowing that we ended up getting a really nice deer tonight, it just makes it that much better. Uh, yeah, you're, so yeah, we you're did the hanging hunt. Like it, it, it adds like a, a layer of tarnish to the hunt. Like, you know, like what's, what else has been happening out here since we've been here last? Exactly. You're like, you go into it, you're like, oh man, this is, what we, this is a great start to the evening. And yeah, no. So we did a hanging hunt uh, for the right wind that, that evening. We were set up on an alfalfa field. A couple deer came out early. It's just like a couple does were out there. Um, it was about an hour before dark. And my little brother, just because of the way it was set up, I was sitting above him. He goes like, hey, Emmett, there's a nice deer out there in the field. There's a really nice buck. And I look out and there was a, there was like four does. And then there was one buck that was already on the field. And it was like a, just a young eight point. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? He's like, no, Emmett, that's a really nice deer. And Easton's like, he's, he shots, he's been very privileged to, to shoot some really nice deer in his past. So like, when I started, when I actually picked up what deer he was talking about, because it was behind a branch, I'm like, whoo. Like that is an absolute <laughs> giant, like biggest deer I've seen on the hoof in my life. It's about 150 yards out. And so like, I know this, my heart starts just pumping out of my chest and I'm like, yo, Easton, that deer is, that's a nice deer. But I like immediately, I'm just like, Easton, you've shot deer nicer than that, but that's one that you're not going to want to pass. And I'm telling him that because I'm hoping that he's not like, you know, I'm like Easton, that is the biggest deer that I've ever seen. You know, it's uh -huh. going to get him all razzled. Yep. And this deer is at 150 and he's making his, you know, he's not, he's not, um, spooked or anything, but he's feeding away from us. Mm -hmm. So I didn't think he was going to get any closer. So he ended up, he ended up setting up on it. Um, taking the shot. We were pretty confident that he hit it, but we couldn't find any blood. We're both colorblind. <laughs> so we backed out that night, came back with my dad the next morning, could not find any blood, but we were both very confident that he hit it. Um, did you get did it on, grid searching? Did you get the, the shot on film? 
So the interesting part with this is that it was in, uh, it was shot inside um, a spot where you could not film. Mm-hmm. So okay. it's it's basically what I would consider privileged pri- private ga- private ground where it's like twenty thousand acres. They allow which about twelve thousand acres of it's huntable, but they allow three hundred hunters in every year, um, and it gets pressured very heavily but you can't run trail cameras and you can't film in there just because it's on sure federal ground mm-hmm. um anyways so no didn't have that um that would have made it a lot easier so it was all off a gut feel it would also made it easier if it was just on regular ground because you could have called in a dog for blood tracking purposes but we had to make do with the situation it was um so we grid searched and, you know, we're just, you know, every hour that passes, we're not finding any blood. We're not finding the deer. Um, and you're just like, okay, we're slowly getting to the point that, yep, this deer's not dead. You know, you're starting to think the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, we did some thorough grid searching and then basically we came back to the spot that he ran into the woods and we're like, dude, they're we're like, Easton, we're going to, we're just going to do one more grid search in this area. And then we're going to work our way back to the truck. We go and grid search that last area and our, on our way through, um, I couldn't believe it, but I walked up on a white tummy or white belly, just like laying in this multi-floor rose bush. I couldn't believe it. Um, I, I didn't even have the energy to like yell out. I just was like, oh my gosh. And then <laughs> they were both close enough that they heard me. Yeah, uh, yeah it was pretty exciting. It was pretty That's exciting. Right. He ended up, the camera was... Uh, Oh, it was really cool. Did you, uh, was the yeah. shot, was the shot where you guys thought it was, or, or I'm just curious with like the lack of blood. I yeah. Know. So I think that's a good part of the story. So we, yeah. Cause it was a muzzleloader, you know, sometimes they don't bleed that much. Um, at least with this muzzleloader that we used in the past, this isn't the first time that's happened, but it was hit high and back. So it was in, it was hit further back than what we wanted. Um, and I think because it was just above that center line and it didn't get full pass through, it just did not bleed. I mean, there was probably a couple drops, you know, but not enough mm-hmm. that you could have trailed it. Um, but it was, it was really cool. It was a That's really awesome. cool deer, really cool story, really cool circumstances, you know. What a way to pretty- finish up. Go ahead. Was, what a funny way, like what an awesome way to finish up your, your youth season hunting for your brother <laughs> like yeah, what a way to end exactly. with a bag exactly no it was a it was a great story um and you just and you go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt no i was just saying you knocked one down too uh with with a muzzleloader too this year right yep yep an early muzzleloader i ended up shooting one um it was a deer that actually i've only had two years of history with because it's the second year hunting that farm but it was uh it was a really cool deer is the deer that i wanted to shoot in the early muzzleloader season there wasn't many mature ones left in the area. Um, he was one of like two that were in that area. And, you know, I just got lucky that he came out, you know, made a plan, um, you know, did everything that I thought was right. But, you know, we do that every time, right? Everybody does that. And, it, you know, it just happened to work out for me. So I was very lucky. Yeah. What, uh, what's, so you chose early season versus late season muscle loader. Do you, do you always do that? And I guess my, my next question would be, would be, why is that? Yeah, that's a great question, Jake. Um, so I started doing early season because I've got, um, 
late season is great for if you're hunting a source um and the areas that i can hunt food sources i have there's a lot of other people that like to hunt them as well so for example like my dad my dad will have some of his friends come out on the farms that we can actually put food sources in so with that said it's just the amount of activity there on the food sources during the late season, I typically was, I used to hunt the late season, but I was like, you know what, I'll just start hunting the early season and then I can go out and film everybody else during the late season. Instead mm -hmm. of, you know, having too many cooks in the kitchen in the late season, you know, now I can d diversify the, the uh, activity throughout the year. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So, so yeah, that, that, I, I wish, uh, which was an Iowa resident, I can make that decision. But I always like asking guys that, that have that opportunity and, and why they choose, you know, the October one or the, or the late season muzzleloader because they both seem like such an awesome opportunity uh, with the muzzleloader during that time of year. Yeah, yeah. The early muzzleloader, the only thing that sucks about the early muzzleloader season, the only reason that you'll find that people typically won't pick the early muzzleloader season in Iowa uh, for residents is because you can't hunt any other gun season after you, you know, after you get an early muzzleloader tag. Um, that might change. I mean, now that I'm a landowner, I can do a landowner's early muzzleloader tag. But as just a regular resident, um, if I do an early muzzleloader tag, I can't shotgun hunt or late muzzleloader hunt. Where if I did late, late muzzleloader, I could still party hunt during the shotgun season. Okay. So it kind of like it takes away from that. And then also the early season can be really tough. Um, you know, just second, third week of October you know, you got to be on the right food source conditions it has to be right. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're putting a lot of, where the, where the late season, you got a couple weeks, you know, the early season, you only have one week. So you're kind of hoping that things line up for you in the early season. But if you have the right food source, you have the right buck to hunt and you have the right conditions. Um, it can be, in my opinion, the most deadly season. Yeah. What's your favorite food source for that early muzzleloader season? I really like, um, I've had a lot of success with alfalfa in that season, or at least seeing a lot of activity on alfalfa. Um, I think if you can hunt over, you know, brass, because anything really green at that point is really good. Um, I know people have a lot of success on corn too. Actually, two years ago, we had a like half acre or acre section of corn that was mowed during that part of the year. That was really good. Mm -hmm. um, it just sometimes that kind of overlaps when, when some of the other farmers are combining the corn. And so if you do happen to have it where like, let's say the neighboring farm has the, the corn combine, you know, there, there's gonna be a bunch of fresh corn out in that field where, you know, the corn that you're hunting over might not be as attractive or there's no, no real difference to it. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say alfalfas and, and greens, you know, radishes, um, clover, clover seems to be really good. Um, yeah kind of yeah <laughs> that's a yeah that that's awesome and you mentioned you're a landowner now so how how does that feel to say that dude it feels weird like <laughs> I, I i'm i'm super excited about it it just feels like it still feels surreal like it's it's so exciting yeah I, so i don't know it's been it's a dream come true how how long has it been a dream for you so it truly it's it's really only been a dream for like i would say like the past five years five six years kind of started when my dad bought a farm um about six or seven years ago and then from there just 
after he bought it, I kind of just took to it and started doing projects and, and other things and just immersing myself in activities on his farm. And it was like, you know, it is a dream of mine to buy a piece of land for myself, mm-hmm. like to actually become the owner. Um, you know, that, that, that would be the ultimate dream. Um, and it, it just kind of stemmed from, from him buying that original piece. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely- Cause I really didn't know what that was there, you know, what the opportunities were, like what, it wasn't a a goal or anything like that because I wasn't really aware of it mm-hmm. until it's kind of a weird way to put it. Yeah. So once, once you knew all the fun and all the opportunities and all the, you know, benefits that come with the land ownership, once your dad bought something you're like, man, I want, I want something like this someday. Uh, yeah. That that's really cool. And something I always like to ask, cause I think it's a good frame of reference. What do you, so you're 27 years old, you bought your first farm and what do you do for work? Are you a, a brain surgeon or, I mean, what do you do? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish. I'm not that smart. No. Uh, I was what I do for a living. I, I currently work as a project manager or a project engineer for um, Cargill. And I, I've been doing that for about a year now. And for the first three years out of school, I worked as a manufacturing engineer. Um so yeah, I basically studied mechanical engineering and I've been using that uh, in practice for the past four or five years. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so, I mean, you're relative to when people buy the first farm, you're, you're kind of early on the bell curve. And so I think that's a, it's a really good example. So like, what were some things that you were doing for the last three years professionally to get in a position where you could end up buying a, a parcel, whether it was saving tactics or whatever you had to do to create margin in your life in order to, to buy your first farm? Absolutely. So, you no, know, because I had that goal so early on, um, it was more of just saving um, incrementally and then keeping that money accessible. Um, and then also kind of getting my, what is now wife on board, you know, it was something that she, this had to be like a mutual mm-hmm. um, agreement, obviously, with, with, a, with a decision this big. So we had talked about it for a while. Um, we were, had both been saving and it just worked out where we didn't know what we didn't know, but things ended up working out in our favor. Um, and I say that because of the way it's financed, um, which basically one of the things I always had thought was that you need like 20% down for land. So it was always kind of like a turn off, like, oh, like. 20% down, you know, to get a, to, to get a big chunk of ground. It's like, holy cow, that's overwhelming to think about, um, you know, but we have been looking, essentially we had been saving up for not just necessarily a piece of land, but we had been saving up for um, what would be a house and a piece of land. And it wasn't like to be as big as what we actually ended up getting, but, you know, we both came to an agreement that we want to invest in something and then potentially build on it here in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that doesn't really answer your question, but there isn't really like any particular saving tactics. It was just more of understanding of, you know, we have a goal um, and whether it's to buy a, a house with 20 acres or to buy, to buy a 60 acre piece in the meantime, and then, and then save up again for, for, to build on some, to build on it in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew that that's what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we would, you know, part, partial off money mm-hmm. as uh, best seemed fit. And also like, like, for example, when we just had our wedding, like all of our, um, like for the wedding, wedding registry, for example, um, we 
didn't ask for like, any specific gifts. Like we asked it, it this is kind of weird, but we basically said money for, um, give us, house give us cash, land, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's really what it went for, yeah. you know? So, uh-huh. um, those are some, it just, that was, that was our end goal and ended up working out. Yeah. That, did you guys have to make any, I mean, I think it, there had to be some level, uh, would you consider yourself a frugal person at heart or like, there, I feel like there had to be some level of frugality to, to save up, you know, over the, over that time or what sacrifices did you have to make or, or what did you forego that, that you maybe you wanted to buy that you didn't because you're like, no, we need to save this money for a house or for, you know, or, or a piece of ground that you end up buying. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things, um, you know, we, not very materialistic. Um, we really only spend money on what we absolutely have to. Um, and, you know, obviously, for example, Emmy's been driving um, a car that, you know, is reliable. It works, but it's not the brand new one. Um, it's not, it's not something that, you know, we, we could have upgraded like two or three years ago, but we understood that, you know, what we have is reliable. It works. Um, and, for example, what we're doing now is my dad has a shop on one of his farms. Um, so it's, it's just a shop. It's got a bedroom and a bathroom or two bedrooms and a bathroom, um, no kitchen. But this is where we've been living for the past year. And we're going to probably continue to live for at least another two years to continue to build up, to build on this piece of ground that we bought. So that's kind of, you know, that's one of the examples of where we're um, cutting costs. You know, we, we, Yeah, I would say that's yeah. overcutting costs. That's a huge one, yeah. And so, you know, so, so you guys have saved up some money and you're thinking, well, maybe we'll buy a house in some acreage or maybe buy a piece and end up building on on it. How long How long were you guys shopping? Or I guess, how many different pieces did you walk? I know you walk a ton of pieces because I know you shed on a lot, but like for, for with your buyer's hat on of like, okay, we might be interested in buying this. How When did you decide you wanted to buy something and how many farms did you walk or kind of give the story or background on that? Yeah, no, it's, um, we always kind of, we were in the market probably, I would say we were in the market probably for six months, but we weren't aggressively looking up until like two months before, um, it happened. You know, when I say six months, that's when we were like starting to, you know, figure out what, what our price range would be, where we would be comfortable, really starting to play around with numbers. And then when we got about two months in, that's when it was like, okay, let's put some bugs in some realtors' ears. Let's uh, let's let it be known that we are aggressively looking. And so if something comes up that's right, um, we'll be out there to, to look. And honestly, Jake, there wasn't. Uh, we, we honestly didn't put boots on the ground for too many of them. I mean, a lot of them, I a lot of them, we can make our judgment on the aerial, the location, mm-hmm. and. And uh, if it seemed to be the right fit, this one definitely had a lot of the characteristics that we were looking for, which is why we became very serious about it. And it was one of the only one that we put boots on the ground with. Mm-hmm. There was a couple we wanted to put boots on the ground on, but they just sold so fast. Yeah. You know, right when it hit the market, just gone the next day cash. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a really interesting thing. And it's like, arguably some people could say there's been a little bit of a slowdown, but like the good stuff, has and forever will sell fast. I mean, that's just kind of how, how it works. And there's a lot of money out there, whether people realize it or not. And there's a lot of people that are looking for, you know, like a very ideal parcel and, and they go fast. And so um, what I found interesting is 
I think it's very unique for a buyer to buy their first farm at auction. So, um, and I think that's a, that's a very interesting perspective on this because typically buyers at auctions, maybe they've already bought some, or maybe they're, they kind of been through the ringer before, I guess is the best way to say that. And so when you show up to an auction and, and Hey, you're the winning bidder, it's like, you have to have your finances in line. You have, there's no cold feet. You got to put a good chunk down, usually 10% of the, the purchase price at the day at auction, write a check. And, uh, how nerve wracking was that part of it? And I know I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but you know, it, it's a, it's a unique perspective that we haven't had someone on here talk about buying their first farm at auction. Yeah, no, it's an, honestly, it's a great question because it's not something that I anticipate. Like I didn't think much about it until I was there in the moment and it was like, holy cow, this is like, like you said, nerve wracking, like, um, just heart pounding out of your chest because you know, the auctioneer starts going, they're yelling out numbers and you know, you're not talking about like 50, a hundred dollars, you know, you're talking about like obviously a life commitment here and it, it's, things are happening fast. Um, so going into it, you know, we knew kind of where we were at. I mean, I had an idea of what our maximum would be, you know, we had agreed on what our maximum would be. Um, and then with the financing that we, we went through our, you know, our maximum right before the auction started, we were like, Oh, we can go a little bit higher than this. Um, and then when the auction hit, I mean, everything just happened so fast. Um, gosh. So let's, yeah. So let's, let's break this down. So you guys, for well, first off, you, you did the most important thing. You went and got pre-approved. You knew where you're at with your finances and you talked to a lender. And I assume walked through a couple of examples of like, this is what we're hoping to buy for at auction. What would be our payment? And they give you a spitball number and they're like, you know, you might be good to go up to this number. And you're like, okay. So was that kind of how that process went? Yeah. Yeah. So basically we, we, you know, we have been approved up to a certain amount. Um, and then uh, we have, we had applied for the um, first time farmer loan mm-hmm. through the, the uh, farm service agency. And when that got approved, because that didn't get, we got approved through our primary, like through our main lender, but the farm service agency uh, loan did not get approved until like three days before. So once we got that financing approved, it was like, okay, we can bump this maximum up a little bit because um, of how that's financed, it, it's more beneficial. So yeah, break that break that down. So why uh, why did you exhaust both avenues, and and what did you end up doing, and, and and why? Yeah, absolutely. So for the financing, what we ended up doing was first time farmers loan. Um, it's not applicable to everybody, um, but it is. You know, there's a criteria that has to be met, and and just from you know the fortunate experiences I've been able to have in my life, I was able to meet some of those criteria. For example, making business decisions on. Um, a farm that I don't personally own, but my dad does. So making business decisions on that, I had to provide um, proof for that. So basically get letter of recommendations from local co-ops, seed dealers, um, et cetera, provide those with my application, as well as I had a couple of the other um, requirements that were on the criteria list. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically the, the farm service agency has this first time farmers loan to help finance people who are wanting to start off farming. So at this particular piece of ground, it wasn't like hundred percent recreational, it was about half tillable, half timber. Um, so basically put together a plan of how we were going to farm it for, for years to come. And then submitted that with their application. 
um, and the FSA, you know, approved it. And what that means is when they approve it, I was able to get a, I was able to, the, the way they finance, um, their interest rates are much more better than, yeah. than what uh, some of the other lenders are. And with interest rates being relatively high, or, you know, they still are relatively high, but they were even higher at the time of when we were looking for financing, um, you know, that made it very nice because that payment was a lot lower than the first quote at the first lot time. lower. Yeah. Those, a, yeah. a point or so two the, makes a big difference. <clears throat> absolutely. So the, the financing with the, the FSA, you know, they've got three different options for first time farmers. Um, because we were able to finance through another lender, um, they only allowed us to do one of the options. But like they do have an option to have it 100% financed through the FSA, which had a, uh, it was like 5% over 20 years. And then there was 50%, you know, where the FSA would do 50% for 20 years. And that was like 3.5%. Um, and then they have um, a option that, you know, you provide 5% down, the FSA will finance 40 five percent of it and then another lender will, will finance 50 percent of it mm-hmm. but the caveat with that option is that the second lender has to um, have their their loan terms for 30 years which does kind of suck but it's it's in place for a good reason and actually ends up making the monthly payments a lot more reasonable mm-hmm. um so what option did the you, FSA really did help? What option did go you guys ahead. go with of, of those options? So because we were already approved with um, Farm Credit Services, they said that we would have to go with the the option of the the five the five forty five fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, they wouldn't be willing to finance the entire thing. So uh, that's what we did, and it's really it worked out really nice because that forty five percent that they finance. So 1.5% interest rate, wow. which is just like free money, literally. Yeah. 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 It's like, Oh, that's so awesome. And so it really, you know, it's really cool that they, they, that that was an option. And I didn't even know that was a thing. I really didn't. I know that people talked about it. I have a couple of buddies um, who I've talked to about, and like, you know, they mentioned it, you know, drinking a beer one time and it's just like mm-hmm. never really paid much attention to it. Did a lot of Googling, um, a lot of phone calls, talking to, the, the you know the local FSA office or USDA office and um, yeah it was just something that I really wasn't much aware of and I'm glad I I learned about it before all this because I can see where some people you know don't realize that's a thing and they might have been um, stuck with qualified. thinking twenty yeah twenty percent down or twenty five percent down what um did you have to have a schedule F for the, the, for, for the farming or was it just a letter of recommendations that you needed? No, I didn't need, I didn't need a schedule F. Um, that was, I did, I farm credit service initially thought that I was, I did need that, but that actually was not something I ended up needing for oh, wow. um, the application. So just by being involved on the farm and, and having those letters of recommendation that, that satisfied satisfy that requirement. Yep, basically got a letter of recommendations from those local co-ops, and then also have a, um, a you know, my current job uh, is heavily. There's a lot of financial management that's that's based with it, so that is also like one of the checks on the the criteria is like having a. I can't remember the exact verbiage from it, but it's like having a, a job that where you're 
manage managing finances. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, were you familiar with it? Yeah, that's huge. I mean that. I mean, I Dude, think that huge. that pays dividends for doing your due diligence and exhausting all options too. Because I think a lot of people get discouraged just throughout the land buying process where they call. Maybe they make two or three phone calls and they get three answers they're not really happy with. And man, this is unattainable. I'll never get to that. But what you just laid out is a very attainable thing if, if people lay the foundation in order to, okay, I need to get, I mean, in this case, get hold of the farm and, and learn the process and, and, and call your FSA office and understand your options. And I think that's such a huge thing. And, and you're right. You can Google that. And unfortunately, you're not going to get the most crystal clear information because I've Googled it. Mm-mm. And we had a we had a lender <laughs> on uh, that specialized that from Missouri. I think it was early last year, like early 2023. And uh, that was a, a podcast that, that a lot of people had really good feedback on. And I still felt like we just scratched the surface. So your explanation of, of that process was definitely really good. So you decided to go that route prior to the day of auction, correct? Correct. Okay. So we found out that the FSA approved it like two days before. I mean, we still had um, approval up to a certain amount with the the original lender, which had been fully um, FCS. But once we found out that the FSA approved it, um, our maximum going into that day was a little bit more comfortable. We were a bit more comfortable to push that maximum. Yeah. With that, with that entry. Cause I mean, unless someone was buying cash, I mean, everyone's most people are for probably at that time, this was in October, right? Like early October, probably looking at like mm-hmm. seven and a half, eight and a half percent uh, interest. And then you look yep. at your weighted average of interest was way lower than that. Like it was like you were still in 2021 and everyone else was competing in 2023 interest rates, which is, I mean, was an advantage. Yeah. Oh, totally, totally. And, and you know, another nice thing about it, right, is when interest rates are low, you know, things are flying off the market. It is so hard to see, you know, to have options. You know, when it was 2021, it was so hard to find a, like, good piece of property because it wouldn't even be listed for that many days. It'd be already off the, the market. You know, people, um, land agents, realtors, I mean, they had, from my understanding, and you would know this better than me, Jake, my understanding, you know, they had they had lists of people just waiting with money, ready to buy mm-hmm. because of how fluid everything was and how low low the interest rates were. Now we're at a time, or in October, we were at a time where the interest rates were higher, so things started to stabilize, you know, and it allowed us to wait and pick the right opportunity, and then being able to use the effort, not use, but but the leverage the government assistance essentially. Yeah, to be able to to, you know use the lower interest rates at that time was super beneficial mm-hmm. and, it, and it totally aligns with our end goals. So um, very lucky for that. Yeah. What a, what a, that's the thing. It's people, this is such an important step, such an important step that you're sharing that I just want to drive home because people think buying land is just looking on land watch and finding sweet farms. But this is, this is the difference of going into an auction and buying it. And saying, oh, uh, you know, I should, you know, I should have been a little bit more prepared, or, or they get the mentality like, oh, that's crazy price, you know, I'm never gonna be able to catch up to the land market. But and this is just a, this is a really good story to, sh- just to show that, hey, yeah, there's options out here. Go, like, if you really want it hard enough, you know, exhaust all efforts because there's, there's probably something there. And obviously, you guys were diligent throughout that process leading up to that. But so that was kind of the process pre-auction. And what exactly were you guys looking for? Were you looking for obviously a, a good building site from what I understand, um, some income obviously in this scenario, but what, 
how you're a deer hunter at heart. So I have to ask, was that like the neighborhood or like, was the hunting, like how much of that way into to this decision process? No, it's a, it's a great question, Jake, because yep, I do love the deer hunt. And, and if it was completely up to me, um, that might've weighed heavier on it than, than what it did. But because this was a mutual decision between my wife and I, you know, there was, there was a lot of other things that we factored into it. Um, I did not overlook deer hunting on it. You know, it was, it, it definitely had some things that I really liked about it, but, uh, you know, some of the things that we looked for, because it, you know, this is a life decision for both of us is, you know, we wanted it to be in an area that had a good community or like in the future, if we raised a family, it'd be somewhere where we'd want to send our, you know, kid, possibly send kids to school, have a good building site, um, being in an area that we have like good neighbors, somewhere that we'd want to build, you know, that we would, it, it's somewhere that we would be comfortable living, right? It's, mm-hmm. are we willing to, you know, you make that investment, are you willing to set up shop and possibly live there the rest of your life, you know? Um, so it had to have that that sense of comfort or homey feel mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, we were looking for. Um, and then, yeah, there was a couple other things that like deer hunting, yeah, like, like okay, if it, if it has this, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give it a little bit of a boost here and say, uh, I like this one a little bit more, but, <laughs> but no, there was, there was some like pieces of land that came up for sale that like were not an area that we were, um, you know, we, we agreed on that I would say as far as deer hunting goes, would have been like, you know, some of the top notch pieces of land, but, but, you know, it's not fully my decision. And even, even if it was, it, it wouldn't align with necessarily what we were looking for or, sure. you know, to make the, to make a commitment like that, I wouldn't fully do it on just deer hunting. How familiar were you with the neighborhood pre-purchase? Was this something that you did know some neighbors here or just did some, some calling around after you were interested in it? No, actually it's a great question because we were familiar with the neighborhood because um, just of, through a family friend that uh, we had a pretty good relationship with or have a pretty good relationship with. And it actually, their family like has land right in that area. And they were the ones who showed us this piece of land. Cause initially there was another piece of land that came up for sale in that area. We were super excited about it, but it's one of those opportunities I was telling you about where it just, Everything seemed to be right. We were about to put boots on the ground and, and it wasn't even on the, the website for a day and it already sold cash, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so after that, I mean, I think it's, you know, it sent a message to, to that family that, Hey, you know, we are really serious about it. So they were, they were keeping an eye out and they ended up finding out that this, you know, this piece of land was coming up for auction. I think we might've been able to find it. You know, we would probably heard about it organically but they were definitely the ones that kind of put it on our radar at first. And we were super excited about it because, you know, I got to know this guy and, and he's a great guy. And he also like toured me around the neighborhood, you know, just made it really feel like home. So it just like really added a level of, what's the right word for it? Uh, I assume just cl- a layer of, of, of clarity because you, you felt like you kind of knew what you were getting into. And then obviously having a contact exactly. in the neighborhood, I mean, if you're going to build a house there, like they're inherently going to be your neighbors and people are going to wave to you in the front yard. Absolutely. And, and you know, and then there's another thing, you know, and there's just a lot of positives with it. You know, I thought that was a big thing that was like, okay, that really adds a, you know, a, a pro to this piece that may be coming up. And then also uh, just, 
like some of the things we talked about where, you know, it was in a great community where it'd be something that we could see our center, our, our, our kids to school too. Um, yeah, it, there's a couple other things too, you know, that, that, that uh, we looked at. There's, you know, for example, in, in my field, there's, I would say two of the best employers in Iowa are within, you know, very close proximity. Um, so future job opportunities are very close. Um, you know, one of which I'm currently employed, employed with. Um, and so, you know, those things add up too, right? Like it's only 10 minutes from where I currently work. I mean, that is a huge benefit. Yeah, that's awesome. Because like you were asking earlier about like, what sacrifices are you making? Like, we're like, we're driving fit. Like I'm driving 50 minutes uh, to work every day right now, mm -hmm. which isn't a big thing. I mean, that's a lot of people do that, but you know, to have something that would be 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. Uh, buy a know. lot of time back to your life <laughs> just by having yeah. a 10 minute commute each way versus 50. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. So I have to say like, all right, so you go, you have a, you have your pre-approval, you have your financing, you, you know, this is a piece that you guys potentially want to buy if it falls within the range of, of what you guys are willing to spend. So going into that auction, you're right. You mentioned your heart's pounding and there's everyone shouting and yeah, you know, it's like they, they cultivate the best environment to get you excited. Oh, and that's, yeah. that's not by mistake. And, uh, I love, I love a good auction. I like just to go to auctions and sit there and I have no interest in buying just cause I, I just love the, the art of a good auction. So, um, tell us, tell us kind of like the day of you have your plan, you guys are sitting there, they're opening up the auction. Like I, I want to hear, yeah. I want to hear all the details. Yeah, no. So it, it's funny because like you've been through this I can clearly tell that you've been through this like <laughs> Too many times that you you know, clearly know the process because like talking to you now, I wish I'd have talked to you before that day. <laughs> but, <laughs> anyways, yeah, so going into it, like my wife was totally nervous about it beforehand. Um, like like weeks, like I'd say a week, two weeks before, you know, she was asking all antsy about it. I really didn't get nervous until we were sitting in the parking lot, like 20 minutes before I'm like, oh yeah, now I'm starting to feel some butterflies. I'm like, I don't know why, because I was like totally like cool collect before. I'm like, okay, if we don't, you know, if it goes above our maximum, you know, something else will come up, we'll find the right thing. You know, we don't need to brush anything. And then we go in and now I'm like, now I'm getting really anxious. And I'm like, and, and we got to meet like the current landowners and, you know, we're just sitting there like we're analyzing the room. And one thing we did wrong is we sat in the very front so we couldn't see who was bidding not that it had a big impact uh -huh. but like just trying to read the room you know we were in the very front we couldn't you know look at anybody else that was going on and yeah anyways uh yeah the the environment that that took place from there forward was pretty <laughs> heart pounding i mean they just you know the the auctioneers are you know their interest is for the seller and they do a really good job for that but it, it creates an environment that's uh very creates a lot of anxiety and you know i could see where this wouldn't have happened with me but i could definitely see where you'd have sometimes where you could have somebody who looks at another person in an auction it's like i don't want that person to win it mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden they end up making stupid decisions you know like driving like like committing to things that they weren't planning on because they were just you know so caught up in the moment yeah um luckily that wasn't us and it ended up like so we ended up like I, my initial maximum was 6200 i said i was gonna go 100 an acre and then i pushed up to 6400 
once we got the FSA approved, mm-hmm. Seaborn and Maker. And after talking to you know some people going into it, I was actually thinking it might go for like 59, 5,800. Mm-hmm. But man, it flew. Like it started to fly up those numbers. I mean, it, you know, they, they start off at like 3,000 an acre in $500 yeah. increments. And then finally it starts to slow down and it got like it shot up to 6200 an acre and i'm like sitting there i'm like biting my tongue and and you know had you bid had you bid yet when how it got fast to 62? It so i bid at, one time like, before that okay all right so you bid one time then it gets to 62 it starts to slow down did they or, take no, a recess I'm sorry. I'm sorry actually i'm sorry i'm sorry i i did bid like two times like it was like i bid one time early like let's say like a, like 5200 an acre and then I ended up, it got down to me and I think it was one other guy. I couldn't see. Um, and I, like, I think that I, it was like 6,000. I, you know, I went 6,000, he went 6,100 or opposite where basically mm-hmm. he went 6,000, I went 6,100, he went 6,200. And then I sat there and waited a while. Um, let the auctioneer, you know, push it for a little bit and then they broke it down to fifties at that point and it went to 6250. And then for how fast it got there, it just stopped like that. You yep. know, and all of a sudden it was one. You know, it was like the, so that guy's maximum was sixty two hundred, which is pretty crazy because like I was like, that was our initial maximum going into it. Yeah. Um so So it so you got it for sixty two fifty. So it you know, like it screeching all to sixty two, you go into sixty two fifty and then you know, probably a recess done. and then it's sold. Well, actually, wow. recessed at like 50, 50, 5,000, somewhere between five thousand and six thousand. Recessed there, um, and then the the auctioneer announced that you know that the farm would be sold because they had their the seller had a, a minimum. Yeah, but it was really cool. Like we got to meet the the landowner after it, and they're going to be. I mean, they're actually still going to be neighbors, and they are great people. Um, you know, just added assurance that this was the right decision. It, it almost just felt like family right off the bat. They were just so welcoming. Um, yeah, it was a crazy morning. <laughs> yeah. So did you, was there a 10% deposit on the day of auction or was there just a, like a flat? So with you putting 5% down with a 10% deposit at auction, did, if you don't mind me asking, did you end up getting like a credit at closing for the additional five? No, I could have, um, we could have done a credit for, for five, but we actually ended up doing like 10% down anyways, because that's what we had to have that day of the auction. Um, uh-huh. The FSA would have, you know, the option would have been the FSA could have credited it, credited it, us back 5%. But regardless of how much we put down, the FSA was still going to do 45% of the purchase price. So, like, it totally made sense for us to, to, you know, keep that 10% down because we didn't have, like, an immediate house that we were like, oh, we really want the house. We didn't need the cash in hand right now. We're completely fine going another two years um, with what we're doing right now. And then you know, building up a down payment for building something or potentially another house that's close in the area. Yeah, man, what a, what a trip that had to be. And so, okay, you got it. You're the guys are the winning bidders. Congratulations. And then, you know, the deposit to the contract and then throughout that process, what, how is the loan process once you had it under contract and you had it, you know, kind of balance the, the, the loan process, was there any snags or hiccups throughout the closing that, that happened that, uh, may be useful for someone else to hear um you know so the closing was initially scheduled for like the auction was on like no, october uh 
6th, let's just say the beginning of October, right? The first week of October. And the closing was scheduled for like the third week in November. And we didn't close till the actually like the third week in December. And in most, I think in most circumstances, like it could have been closed faster. Like if I would have pushed the envelope more. Um, but like I said, we met the landowners right off the bat. I mean, we already had like an, a great immediate connection with the landowners um, where it wasn't like I didn't have any reason to rush the closing and I don't think they were pushing the envelope either. So there was a couple hiccups where it was like title opinion, uh, just getting the attorneys, everybody coordinated. But, you know, it, so what it went smooth, but just a little slower than what, than what you guys. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like, like on, it wasn't on time. Yeah. <laughs> that, um, that unfortunately happens sometimes. <laughs> But honestly, it kind of worked out in a way. There is a caveat here. It worked out in a way because interest rates dropped a percent, you know, from the time of yeah. that date to, to the day of uh, that we actually closed. So the FSA was still at 1.5%, but our interest rate dropped from 7.8 to 6.8, you know, in that time, yeah. which was great. That's huge. Yeah. Um, you guys could have went to 66 yeah man. I was like, no. Uh, no but it uh it worked out what was i gonna say though oh one of the things is with the fsa because the the current prod the current farm was it's half tillable half timber and that half tillable most of it's in crp so because it's in crp that's a government funded program the fsa doesn't want to pay for its loans with a government funded program so like they wouldn't want to use the crp payments to pay for um the land payment it's mm -hmm. just kind of a thing that's like that's not their typical practice that's not what they want to do so the stipulation that was on you know the approval of the loan was that i would buy out the mm. crp contract that just went in last year there's like the crp is broken out into two different contracts one's like one's going to expire five years from now but another one's going to expire like nine years from now so in order for them to approve it you know we, we agreed that i would buy out that crp contract so i could do my farming activities on this did you so you had, to buy out, you had to buy out both contracts or just the one just the one just the okay. one because it just started if i had to buy out the other one it wouldn't have made much sense because of how much interest as a you know occurred over, the, over on the, it. yeah over the probably 10 years with the five yeah so yeah however it shook out um no that's really interesting and so what uh, i mean what what advice would you give to someone that's looking to buy their first piece of first piece of ground. I mean, I, I think you nailed the head um, on the ex exploring some FSA options for financing, but what, what other things can you think of that was maybe something you wish you knew going into it or something that if someone called you and said, Hey, I mean, I think I'm going to buy a farm. I know you bought one recently. What would you, what advice do you have? I would say, don't, don't be afraid to explore your options, right? We, you just said the FSA, don't, don't get caught up on the down payment amount. Um, and yeah, just to explore your options. I mean, you know, at, at first, I, the first like three phone calls I had, right? Like it, I was under the impression that, okay, I have to have 20% down. Like these are, mm -hmm. this, this is not going to be a thing. Like we are, aren't, aren't be able to pursue this. Um, come to find out, you know, that, that there are other options out there that work to the situation that we were in. Now, now the, this, the circumstances I'm in might not apply to everybody else, um, but definitely explore it and see if, if it works for you because if it does it can be a, a huge 
driving factor for you to, to make that decision sooner in your life than later, you know, and it doesn't feel like as much of a burden. Um, it's still a huge life commitment, but you know, one of the big reasons I bought land was, or we bought land is, is I've, I've talked to so many landowners and I've never heard one of them say, I regret buying this piece of land. I've not. And, um, most of the times, you know, like, like, for example, I've knocked on so many doors in my life for asking permission to shed hunt places, deer hunt places. And, you know, 95% of the time, 90% of the time, I'll get a no. But the, that doesn't mean that I'll just stop and be like, okay, nope, I'm leaving. Like, sometimes we'll go on a tangent conversation with the landowner and it'll get to the point of like where we're talking about land. And like, I'll, I'll be like, you know, a dream of mine's always, has always been to buy land. And then, you know, they'll be like, there's just a common theme where the landowner goes, you know, the best decision that they've ever made, or they express that the best decision they've ever made was to buy land when they were young. I've heard that so many times from, from, from landowners was to buy land when you're young. You know, like, uh, this, that common theme always has that same foundation of a story where like this said landowner took on a huge financial burden, huge financial risk when they were young. They thought it was a dumb decision at first, you know, immediately after they were like, oh, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. And then they make it through and they, they say it's the best decision they've ever had. And that's where it goes back to me saying like, I've never heard somebody say that they've, they've regretted it. Um, all that said, that just all factored into the decision of like why, one of the reasons why that, you know, I wanted it as well as my wife, you know, we, we had heard, heard that so many times and then I, you know, she was in line with what, what I wanted to do, which is, was just huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that it is funny how you mentioned that. And it's, I, I love how those conversations natively come up in those conversations too, or they, you know, whether it gets, however it gets brought up and they they talk about how they bought, you know, said ground for what was a lot of money or what felt like a high price back then. And now both people can go and just chuckle. Like, are you kidding me? You bought that for whatever that price was. And, um, I think, I think they kind of, it's like the, the compounding effect, like if you invest early uh, for your retirement and like what that could mean, or like the earlier you start, the more it can compound. And I think land is often overlooked of that same compounding effect is, is there. And the earlier you start, you know, the more opportunity and, and potential gain down the road. And obviously you're really d diligent on how you did it and very methodical. And I'm sure you had spreadsheets and, you know, you, you, you laid out the different formulas of, if we can get this type of finance and this is our max, if we, it's like, it wasn't an uncalculated risk, but uh, it was a risk nonetheless. And I'm, I'm super happy for you. And it's, it's really cool to, to see that happen. And um, is there, do you think this will be the last piece of ground you buy? I mean, do you have the land bug? I know this is still super, super fresh. You just closed on that a couple of weeks ago, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, uh, no, it's a good question because yes, I would, my dream would be to buy another piece. That's the next dream, right? <laughs> like it's not, it, hopefully it's, but uh, no, I mean, I, I, it definitely, I definitely would love to buy another piece in some point in the future. I mean, I think that we both would, right? Um, to get there and to get there sooner. Um, we're hoping that, you know, we're exploring some options like we had talked about, you know, before the podcast with um, this upcoming startup business launch, um, you know, hoping that, you know, some of the, the efforts that we've put towards that 
will be recognized and you know the hard work towards that will continue to be recognized because yeah to get to that uh, buying another piece of land rather relatively quickly i think it's going to have to be through um yeah a business before before you know our current situation but yeah it's a good goal to have and i'm, I'm sure it'll happen uh, who knows when it will but i'm sure it will and oh, dude, it's the goal i'm excited because uh we're both going to be in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania here uh, next month. I mean, we're counting down the days here almost. And what what do you have going on there? Is uh, it's so Great American Outdoor Show? We we have listeners all over the country here. So, uh, what do you have going on? And, and what booth or what hall will you be in? So, if someone listens to this, they can go check out what you have going on. And this is kind of like, I feel like I'm uh, I'm prying a little bit, but I think it's it's still fun to talk about. Yeah, no, that's it's it's awesome, man. Uh, so. Basically, we'll be having a booth. It's going to be for my uh, new startup business. It's called Cat Tracks. The reason it's called Cat Tracks is because we're going to be releasing uh, mobile hunting gear, starting off with our first premier product, which will be the Commando. Um, it's a climbing stick. It's an extremely lightweight climbing stick. Um, to my knowledge, there's nothing out on the market right now that's lighter than this. Um, it's been something I've been working at for the past uh, three years. Um, have finally got comfortable enough to want to to bring it to market, you know, got third-party testing and all this. Um, so we're launching it at the Great American Outdoor Show. Um, it's been a long time coming, something I'm super excited about. And uh, anyways, I, I started off with saying it's called Cat Tracks because I didn't finish that. The reason it's called Cat Tracks is kind of clever, right? Um, big cats hunt their prey from trees, right? So they got to yeah. climb up the tree to get there. So their, their claws are going up a tree. So like, cat tracks are like climbing sticks like you're going up a tree so yeah there you go. I like that. that's my little... i like that i like that yeah, yeah that, that when you said that i was trying to think okay so why did you name that and that was that was my <laughs> guess that that's very logical and i have to say this i have to respect i respect the heck out of this because we were shed hunting two years ago and you just made mention that you were you were starting this process or you were doing some designs and um you stayed in touch but haven't had a longer form conversation like this since then and you know, I just mentioned, how's it going? You're like, actually, we're getting ready to launch it. So congratulations to you that I know that's a lot of work and a lot of dedication to get to this point. And uh, I'm excited to put my hands on the product uh, in Pennsylvania here next month. And uh, I'm sure it'll be a success. And I just have to tip my cap to you because it's it's no easy project to do that, especially with a product like that with third party testing and, and people are, you know, relying their life on, on it. And um, that's really cool. I'm just, I'm excited for all uh, avenues of your life right now because you're killing it and I'm, I'm really happy for you well thanks jake man and and, and and the same goes to you man you've been uh some big deer i'm completely <laughs> jealous of you man that is awesome i mean just just no, do it from I, one state to the other i had to go to iowa um i, I didn't want to leave <laughs> but uh, no. no you guys have a really special state and uh no I, I appreciate that and um where can people follow your youtube channel and then uh the business uh, when you have that going, maybe this follow your social and, and they can funnel from there. But uh, feel free, feel to share how people can get a hold of you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a good way to get a hold of me would be through Extreme Element Outdoors. We've got social media accounts on um, Instagram, Facebook, and then YouTube. Um, and then basically, I'll be launching some of those links for for cat tracks here in the next few weeks, where it'll be to our Facebook, Instagram. I mean, I've got those. Pr- accounts already created but they're private um just because i'm like i'm just going to release it all at once but anyways you'll get those links to be able to reach out through that as well 
Um, but you'll be able to find those on the Extreme Element page. Um, awesome. Or accounts. But Jake, I do want to go back to that one thing. Right before we uh, got off the land, I think you brought up yeah. something that was really good. And it was a big reason why I bought land was I had put like a lot of money into the stock market like over the past five years. And I had not seen much, much uh, change, mm -hmm. but I had seen how land had gone up quite a bit. Yeah. And like I said, it's always been a dream of mine to get land. And over the past five years, I've saw land prices double. I can tell you my salary did not double over the past five years. Yeah. So be, you know, for a first time buyer, somebody who's like kind of waffling on the edge of buying land, you know, if it's within your, you know, if it's something that you truly want to do, you know, there's no better time to do it now if you can, mm -hmm. just because, um, unless interest rates hit like 22%, we have a farm crisis 2.0. Yeah. Um, there's no reason to believe it's going to go down. And so you can cons consider it an investment if nothing else, but it's something that you would be able to use, have fun with. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's something that is tangible instead of, you know, just putting it into the stock market, hoping it gets better. Now I'm, there definitely could be potential for more reward with the stock market. I mean, I'm no financial advisor, advisor by any means, but mm -hmm. I figured if I was going to lose money or just sit there and watch money be stagnant, um, I'd rather invest it in something that, you know, is aligned with our end goals. Yeah. That being land. Absolutely. And I think it's kind of invest in what you know. And if, if you're a land fanatic and it's what exactly. you know and you understand the market, you understand what you could do to improve it. I mean, that's always, uh, I still put money in the stock market and I don't, I don't like to. And I always think like, man, if there's, this farm comes up, I'm actually going to yank it out, but I never do. And so I'm just building that because I feel like once again, the compounding effect, but you're exactly right. You can go out there, you can improve it. I can't do anything to improve the S and P 500. I can't, there's nothing I can do yeah. right here where I'm sitting. So you feel kind of helpless. Uh, but I know I can go and improve a parcel and I know I can go and enjoy it. And I think that's a, that's a huge point. And I'm sure even with the, the farm, your dad bought, when he like just you guys can probably laugh about it now of like, man, do you remember what you paid for this whole thing? And like, what do you think it's worth today? And it's probably two point, whatever of, of you know, multiplier of what he bought it. So I think that's a, a good indication of that. And it's hard to say what the market will hold, but even, even with it's, it always comes down. Like if you can do it, do it now because timing in the market beats timing the market. And that is the, the biggest thing. And if land prices did drop 25%, if you didn't have to sell it, it's going to come back and recover. It might take 10 years, but it'll recover. Historically, it's not financial advice. Don't take my advice from a podcast, but that's uh, I, I agree with you there. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of, I think you summed it up perfect there, man. Awesome. Well, I hope people go follow what you have going on. I look forward to seeing you in Pennsylvania. Um, good luck the rest of the season here. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Thanks, Jake. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me do this. And uh, yeah, good luck to you as well. We'll see you in Pennsylvania. Right on. There you guys have it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you're going to be at the Harrisburg Show, be sure to stop by the Archery Hall and stop at the Exodus booth. Tune in to the live stream January 10th, 7 p.m. Eastern to be the first to know about the brand new cell camera we will be releasing. You guys are going to want to check that out for sure. And as always, if you enjoyed the episode, it would mean a lot if you left a five-star review. Thank you to everyone that has already done so. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Until next time, see ya.